It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder Podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I am your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. On today's show, brought to you by rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com for all the parts your car will ever need. We're going to recap the Thunder's first two scrimmages, the first two games that I get to cover as host of Locked On Thunder. And if you watch these two scrimmages this weekend, it's hard not to be excited about what this team can be in Oklahoma City. Let's start with the Boston Celtics. That game happened on Friday. And in this game, you didn't really know what to expect. It's a scrimmage. They're only playing 10-minute quarters. How much are you going to really be able to take away from this game? How much are they even going to play in this game? The Celtics only played their starters for one half and then didn't see them again after halftime. But for the Thunder, they had a good rotation going all the way through like the middle of the third quarter, and then you start getting the backups. And, of course, the biggest storyline in both these two games is Andre Robertson. We're going to talk about Andre in a little bit. But the Boston game starts with Steven Adams. And Steven Adams takes a three to open up the game the same way he opened up this season in Tulsa for the first preseason game against the Dallas Mavericks. And he had a huge dunk at the beginning, a huge block, and the Thunder kept going to him early on in that Boston game. You even saw him dribbling the ball and putting the ball in the deck to try to get some, uh, you know, to try to drive to the basket. And he just looked more aggressive against Boston. And look, we've only got eight games to go. We're, we're, you know, you, you've only got to make it through eight games healthy, and then you get the postseason. And when was the last time that we saw Steven Adams be truly healthy in the postseason? And when was the last time that we saw Steven Adams become aggressive offensively? And you look at the possible matchups against Utah, against Houston, against Dallas, against Denver. You would need a an aggressive Steven Adams to properly exploit those teams. And if you're going to get this Steven Adams through these eight games and then through the playoffs, it's going to really 
start to change what the Thunder can be. He, he's never been an, ag- an aggressive offensive player. He was that in these past two games. Uh, he looked even stronger than before the layoff, which is hard to believe if you've watched Stephen Adams' whole career in Oklahoma City. Uh, it was awesome to watch Stephen Adams go to work against Boston. So that's how the game started. The, the entire first game, uh, the first quarter of that first game, was really taken over by Steve, that by Stephen Adams. That's all anyone would talk about about this game was Stephen Adams. But there was a lot more to dive into. The only player uh, that did not play for the Thunder in this game was Nerlens Noel, who at the time was nursing an ankle injury. He came back for yesterday's game against the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, but Dort showed a great three-point stroke in both these games. And that's something I've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, Lou Dort was a better three-point shooter in college than people gave him credit for. And if you look at his statistics, he's a great free-throw shooter. And a lot of times you can look at that free-throw percentage and you can translate that to guys performing better from beyond the arc. So I really wanted him to come out and show that he had improved from three-point land. And in two games and two scrimmages, He did, and I know that it's scrimmages. I know it doesn't matter. I know all the qualifiers that go along with scrimmages, but I don't think I have to keep reminding you of that while we discuss the only Thunder basketball we've had to discuss in a layoff that's longer than each of the last three offseasons combined. Uh, But the the big thing, the, the big thing from that first half with the starters and seeing guys try to play inside of a rhythm was Shea. And again, this entire last month, I've talked about what if Shea enters the bubble What if Shea is better? What if he shows us a preview of year three, Shea? And in two games, he's done that. He looks a lot faster. His his first step to the basket looks a lot faster, which is hard to believe. He still looks smooth. He still looks under control. He just looks like he has an extra burst uh, whenever he's attacking the basket. Um, You know, it it was fun to watch him work. He had a strong drive pretty much every time he went to the rim, and Celtics weren't playing the the tightest defense. You could see at times if if they got beat on that first step, that was pretty much the end of the play. But a few times they tried to have some back-end rotation help uh, to defend the basket, and Shea just went up strong and beat everyone. Uh, So credit to Shea. He he looks as good as he did before the layoff, if not better. But again, a lot of this game, the first scrimmage for each team, was moving at, at half speed. And whenever you're not even playing regulation minutes, uh, in that first scrimmage, there's not a ton to look at in terms of offense versus defense because they were sleepwalking a little bit, especially if you got that first step, which Shea did. Uh, and then you move on to Darius Baisley. He looked a bit hesitant at first. He he looked like he was still not sure of himself whenever he got the ball swung to him a lot of the times when playing with mostly other starters on this team. But as the game progressed, he was in that center role, which we talked about wanting to see him in and, and on Friday. That was the perfect opportunity. With no Noel, that was the perfect chance for Billy Donovan to get a look at Baisley at center. And all in all, Baisley had a good game. He started slow at first, but as he worked into that game, you could really see the progression he's made. The, the biggest thing was that strength. And he talked about how he added some weight in the offseason. I'm going to call it an offseason. We all know it was just a layoff. But Billy Donovan said how noticeable it was, and it really was whenever you watched him play down low at that center position. Now, he's not Jeremy Grant down there. You can't, I don't think you can do this in the playoffs. I don't think you can do this in games that matter. But. Doing it in the scrimmage where it can't help or hurt you was just fine. And what it did was it showed that in the future, if he continues to add muscle this offseason, heading into 2020-2021, if he continues to add muscle, 
he can truly become a backup center in this league. And, and I don't mean that's his new position. I mean what Jeremy Grant was. And, and Jeremy Grant playing that five, if you remember, was great in that Billy Donovan system whenever he likes to run small ball. And, and Jeremy Grant was really the perfect center to run uh, through his offense. And I think Baisley shares a lot of those qualities that Jeremy Grant did with a much higher upside, much higher upside, and much higher production uh, from that playmaking category. I, I think that Darius Baisley showed that it's not unrealistic to think that he could play center in the NBA, at least for some uh, minutes in a small ball lineup. Of course, he's not going to be your primary backup or your primary center, but in different small ball lineups, Baisley showed on Friday he can accomplish what you want him to accomplish at that center position. Again, uh, Noel didn't play, so it provided a huge opportunity for Baisley to get that center minutes, but nonetheless, it was still good to see him in that role because that's something Billy Diamond talked about uh, since they got to Orlando, wanting to try out, wanting to experiment with Darius Baisley, he's still an off-season away. He's still an off-season away from being able to take on that role in, you know, in its entirety the way that Jeremy Grant did, but it was nice to see the potential is there for Darius Baisley becoming that backup center. Chris Paul did not play in the second half. Neither did Gallo, neither did Steven Adams, but who did play was Andre Robertson, and that's someone we've been waiting over two years to see play in Thunder basketball. And after this, we're going to talk all about his return to the basketball floor and what he did on Friday against Boston. But first, I want to tell you about our good friends over at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com has been serving you auto parts online for 20 years. It's a family-owned business giving you all of the auto parts your car will ever need from hundreds and hundreds of makes, models, manufacturers. It's a much easier website to navigate. They can find everything that's compatible with your car and get you set up. There's no point to go to chain auto parts stores. All they're going to do is order you a part online and then upcharge you for that part. Skip the upcharge, go to rockauto.com, find all the parts your car will ever need with an amazing selection and reliably low prices. Whenever you go to rockauto.com, get the parts you need. Whenever you're at checkout, write locked on in the how did you hear about us box and they'll know how to take care of you from there. rockauto.com is seriously the best in the business whenever it comes to getting you auto parts. They have literally hundreds of manufacturers and everything you're going to need. So don't waste time going to auto parts stores. Save time, save money at rockauto.com and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box at rockauto.com for an amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, it's finally here. It's time to break down how Andre Robertson looked on the basketball floor for the first time in over two years. And I want to start by issuing an apology this entire time, since I, since I took over this podcast in May, I've been trying to tamper your expectations for what Andre could be. If he returns, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if he even is going to return? I had Olivia on. She tried to tamper expectations as well. I, I think that we were on the same page there. But after watching Andre play, it's hard not to get excited. It's hard not to up your expectations even a little bit for what this team can be. 
Andre checks in in the middle of the third quarter, and he gets a standing ovation from the coaches, from the Thunder players. It was a really emotional moment for him, uh, for Thunder fans, for the Thunder organization, for everyone involved. It was emotional uh, seeing Andre check in for the first time after that gruesome knee injury for the first time in two years. And he mainly played the power forward position, especially defensively, uh, but he was able to get a steal. He was able to get a block. He was tipping passes just like old times. And I, you know, again, it's hard not to be excited. I know we usually do Optimism Tuesday, but this is an Optimism Monday because we'll talk about it again in the, in the 76ers game, but watching Andre, how can you not at least some, at least acknowledge the possibility that Andre can be the X factor that some of you were talking about on Twitter months ago. Now, months ago, it was blind faith. So I don't feel too bad for trying to tamper expectations. Now we've seen it on the floor, and there are still question marks, but we'll get to that tomorrow. On tomorrow's show, we'll talk all about the question marks as we preview the Portland game. But for right now, let's live in a world of optimism. Let's live in a world of just blind faith in Andre and in this Thunder team because on Friday, you saw him tipping passes, getting in the passing lane. You saw him getting steals, getting blocks, and even nailing threes. It was an amazing sight to watch Andre perform again. And the most encouraging part was it was consistent with what we saw in practice. Uh, there was no knee brace. There was no real knee sleeve. There was nothing really um, hindering him. And he looked good in the stop-start in terms of getting up and down the floor. He obviously, playing that power forward position, was not asked to do a lot of lateral moving and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things that would put high-intensive work on your knee more so than usual on a basketball floor. Because, again, you're playing power forward. You're still going to need to stop and start. You're still going to need to move laterally. But it's not as intensive as if Billy Donovan asked him to go guard a wing or go guard a guard. It's not as intensive playing power forward. Uh, but still, moving up and down the floor he looked good. I mean, he didn't look scared. He didn't look like he didn't trust himself. I mean, the only thing was he, he slipped a few times, but that was not an Andre thing. Uh, players all over the NBA have been complaining about the floor being slippery. So I don't blame Andre for obviously slipping. I don't think that, I don't think that at times whenever he was walking gingerly that he was doing so out of fear or pain. I think that every player did that. Every player was trying to get their footing under them, especially in that first game. Something was up with the floor. Uh, you, you saw even Gordon Hayward complaining about it. You saw other players talking about the floors being slippery in, those, in that first go-around in the scrimmages. It wasn't so bad yesterday. I, I didn't notice a lot of people slipping or, or losing their footing at all, so maybe they fixed something or changed something in, in their routine of taking care of the floor uh, but outside of a couple slippages he looked fine and he looked like he trusted himself he looked like he had faith and confidence in that knee but the, the reason I'm issuing this apology is not for the Boston game in all honesty he played the power forward position he ran up and down the floor a few times he got a great steal on a block which was really exciting uh, and he had a three uh, but he took it to a new level yesterday against the Philadelphia 76ers, which we will talk about. But I do want to wrap up this Boston game with the backup point guard minutes because we do know that eventually this team will have to carry on without Dennis Schroeder. He's going to go and leave the bubble for the birth of his child, and eventually they'll need to figure out what to do with their backup point guard spot because all season long they've had a backup point guard who would start on the majority of other NBA teams. And now you have a huge question mark. And we saw a little bit of what they wanted to do against Boston. Uh, so we did get to see Lou Dort run the backup point guard position, as I predicted on this podcast a week ago. He looked fine. Uh, he, he wasn't, 
it wasn't like you looked at him and said he absolutely had to be the backup point guard, like like he was the one that won the job. But he didn't look terrible. Uh, he looked a lot better than Devin Hall. Uh, I think that Devin Hall proved these last couple of days he's only there to take up the roster spot and, and like he's a break glass in case of emergency kind of player, as we all expected. Uh, but he did prove he's not really in the running uh, to play minutes without Dennis Schroeder there. Uh, but Lou Dort was fine. The bigger thing was Darius Baisley. And I mentioned that he played some center without Noel. Uh, but when Dennis was off the floor and when Chris Paul was off the floor in the second half, whenever it was truly the reserves, he shifted out of that defensive role offensively. Now, now defensively, he was still trying to man up centers and trying to play down low to see if he can handle it. But offensively, you saw him bring the ball up court. You saw him kind of start the offense and initiate the offense. And I've talked about this since May. Darius Baisley's best asset, Darius Baisley's best, best skill set in terms of being an NBA player has been and always will be his playmaking. That's what got him drafted in the first round was his playmaking. So to see that against Boston was very encouraging, and I think that he's an under-the-radar player to take over those Dennis minutes and to, and to really be a ball handler that Billy Donovan can trust. Now, look, whenever Dennis is gone, it'll be at a point in the middle of these, uh, in the middle of these seeding games where you're not resting Chris Paul and Shea for an entire half. You're trying to actively win these games to get the best matchup possible in the postseason. So they are going to stagger Chris Paul and Shea, and there's rarely going to be moments as these rotations start to shrink, as these games become must-win, rotations are going to get smaller and smaller. There's rarely going to be opportunity where Shea and Paul are not on the floor. At least one of them are not on the floor. But whenever that does arise in these eight seeding games, Darius Baisley, to me, is a prime candidate to be your lead ball handler, to get your offense moving. And that was his best skill set entering the draft, and he showed that against Boston. So that's something to watch for because that was my biggest thing outside of Andre was how does this team manage the second unit without Dennis? Because no matter who gets that opportunity, no matter who gets that chance, it's a big drop-off from Dennis, who again could start at the point guard position for half the league to Lou Dort or Darius Baisley, or whoever it may be. Now, again, Lou Dort uh, has looked good in these scrimmages, but in terms of a, of a pure lead guard, Darius Baisley looked really good as well on Friday. Coming up, we're going to talk all about the Thunder's comeback victory over the Philadelphia 76ers. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So again, I took over this podcast in May. I hadn't got to cover games, and this season has been all about the comebacks. It's been all about uh, the clutch time. And I got to experience that on Sunday, whenever the Thunder came back from down 26. And I know it's a scrimmage. I know it doesn't count. But it was still so fun. But let's start at the very beginning. Uh, no Joel Embiid, which was a, a big headline entering the game. He's dealing with a calf injury. Now, I think if this was a seeding game and this game mattered, Joel would play. But here's the thing. The game didn't count. 
The game tipped off really early in terms of the NBA landscape of things. You're normally tipping off at 7 o'clock in the NBA. This game tips off at noon on the on the Orlando bubble time. He wasn't going to play it in a meaningless game at noon. But I think if this game counted, I think if this game had implications, he would have played. That's how minor I think this calf injury is. But Nerlens Noel returned for the Thunder, and everyone besides Abdul Nader was available, including... Andre Robertson for the second straight game, which is huge for him. Uh, but Nader has a concussion. He suffered that in the Celtics game where his head hit the hardwood. And it was it instantly you knew he had a concussion. It was that bad. So I hope Abdul Nader is okay. Uh, we'll see if he can clear protocol by Saturday for the first Thunder seeding game. But he was the only Thunder player that missed yesterday's game. So once again, this game starts out with Steven Adams becoming aggressive. At the first possession... He gets the ball, he shoots, he goes right at Al Horford, he shoots over the top of Al Horford. Normally, when you dump the ball down to Steven Adams and someone is pressing up against him and bodying him up the way Al Horford did on that possession, normally Steven Adams kicks it right back out or he tries to find somebody else to get the ball. No, he turned around and shot a hook shot right over the top of Al Horford. And that's another big indication that this is a different Steven Adams. I don't know what, what you can attribute this to, if it's health, if it's confidence, whatever it is, Steven Adams looks stronger and more aggressive inside the bubble, and that can truly change this team's upside. We talk a lot about the addition of Andre and how much that's changed this team, but if you get a strong, aggressive, healthy Steven Adams, that that takes you to a new place in the Western Conference where you look around and you see Houston trying to play small. You see Houston having Russell Westbrook guard centers. You look around, you see Jokic slimming down and, and, and really not being physically capable of handling a big body like Steven Adams. You look around, you see that, you know, your your opposition in Dallas, and can I mean, would they be comfortable playing Boban against Steven Adams? Because if, if, if Boban's the answer to stopping Steven Adams, you're going to have to spend a lot of minutes with Boban on the floor. Do you want Kristaps Porzingis bumping bodies with Steven Adams for 48 minutes? Do you want a guy that's injury-prone and coming off injury and still has not returned to 100% form in Kristaps Porzingis bumping up against Steven Adams? And then in Utah, you do have Rudy Gobert to kind of negate all of this if you do end up matching up with Utah, uh, but who knows what will happen through these eight seeding games. But still, Steven Adams can take this team to a new place if he's going to continue to be aggressive and continue to shoot over the top of, of defenders like Al Horford. And he tried to drive at Horford at times. They really made it a point in these first two games to start each game with Steven Adams having the basketball. And at times they even gave him the ball at the top of the three-point line, which was odd to me to set up your offense and then have him dribble from the top of the three-point line. But it was just, I guess, a show of confidence in Adams uh, and his offensive game. But Al Horford treated this scrimmage like it was game seven of the finals. I mean, he went right after Steven Adams physically. Uh, he had a bajillion threes in this game offensively. But defensively, he treated this like game seven. I mean, he was all over Steven Adams, pushing him, you know, elbowing him, being physical with him, nothing dirty, but just being a, a physical defender with Steven Adams. And including the time that Adams got the ball at the top of the three-point line, you saw Al Horford immediately run up and body up on Steven Adams, which I thought was a tell sign of how the game was going to go but between him and Al Horford, because there's no point to guard Steven Adams behind the three-point line. Like, I know he has the speed. He does not have the speed 
by any means to blow by anyone. So you do feel comfortable if he's going to get the ball out there to go out there with him. But there's also no point. I mean, what if someone gets behind you? There was no point in that situation to man up Steven Adams from behind the three-point line other than to send the message that this was not going to be a pushover scrimmage. This was not going to be uh, Al Horford out there running up and down the floor doing nothing. He wanted to make a point that he would be physical, and that's how the game stayed between Al Horford and Steven Adams. Uh, and and Horford, again, went off from downtown, shot a bajillion threes, was incredible from beyond the arc, as he always is against Oklahoma City. Uh, but that was interesting to me, how physical Horford was. And not in a dirty way, he played great defense, uh, but it was just interesting that he took the time in a scrimmage uh, to initiate that contact and initiate uh, that hard style of basketball uh, in his lone start due to Joel Embiid being out. But nonetheless, this game is a lot sloppier in general. It's it's amazing that their first game back wasn't this sloppy, uh, but you saw a ton of lazy passes, a ton of I don't want to be here body language, and I think that that's more attributed to the early start time than the layoff. Of course, the layoff plays into that, but on a Sunday morning, those guys didn't want to be there on either side, but you really saw it with Gallo. You saw it with Chris Paul. You saw it with their passes and just laziness on the basketball floor. It's just a sloppy, sloppy game. And the Thunder do have a ton of early start times once the seeding games start, and I'm sure they'll have early start times when the playoff starts, but that's different. Those games truly matter. They understand what's on the line in those games, so they will be up for those games. This game, not only was it an early start time, not only was it a Sunday morning, but nothing matters. No stats from this game matter. No no win from this game matters. Nothing about this game is important besides getting back into physical game shape. And they did that. They ran up and down the floor. Good for the starters. They were fine. Lou Dort, again, looked great from beyond the arc. His, his three-point shot, his form looks much improved. He looks more confident taking that shot. There was no... Uh, do I really want to take this shot? Is there anyone else open? No, when he got it, he shot it. It went in. Great. And then the thing that really stood out with Shea was his playmaking. And I struggle to call it improved simply because he didn't get to put his playmaking on display a ton this season. When you're sharing the ball with Chris Paul, when you're sharing the ball with, with Dennis, it's easy for Shea's playmaking aspect of his game to kind of get the back burner, especially when you consider how good he was driving the basketball himself and how his scoop layups get so much attention and things like that. So I struggle to say it was directly improved, but it was it was further on display tonight as he showed that you know he can be a lead guard if he needs to be. If there's no Chris Paul on this team next year, he can be the guy that makes plays happen. So I really love seeing Shea's playmaking ability. He had an amazing pass, you know, from the elbow to Stephen Adams down low in the first half of that game. Shea was awesome, and he continued to be awesome. Again, everyone was sloppy, so don't take this as Shea played like at an MVP level today, But because no one did on either team. They were sloppy. There were times where they got lackadaisical, especially each team's starters. But in general, take away the, the expected sloppiness, and Shea played really well. Again, no one wanted to be there. There was an early tip-off. But all things considered, Shea played really well. There were a ton of foul calls in the first quarter, which didn't help anything. It didn't help anyone get in a groove. When you're playing so early, when you're playing in a scrimmage that does not matter, and the refs are calling literally everything, every ticky-tack foul, there was a foul call for it. And I understand 
that technically those are fouls. I, I, I totally understand that. And on Saturday, if you want to make those calls, go ahead. But in a scrimmage, honestly, in a scrimmage, I would like to see it officiated uh, a lot looser because these guys aren't trying to win. They're not trying to purposely foul anyone. They're not trying to get away with anything. They're simply trying to get back into game shape. They're simply trying to play basketball again. Unless it's an egregious foul, I don't see the point in calling anything. They called like six different illegal screens in a scrimmage. And I get it. They were illegal screens. But this game also does not matter. So all you're doing is stopping whatever momentum or stopping whatever groove these teams could have gotten into. And most of those illegal screens helped the Thunder and stopped possessions in which the 76ers probably would have won. Uh, But... Again, this win does not matter. No matter who wins this game or loses this game, it doesn't matter. So why are we still calling fouls? And then we did get a peek at what uh, Stephen Adams was talking about with the technical fouls because Dennis Schroeder got teed up for complaining about a call. Now, the camera director didn't really show exactly what happened, but from what we could tell, it seemed like he was complaining more so directly to Billy Donovan than complaining to a ref, and the ref just happened to hear what he said and teed him up. I think that if this stadium was packed and if fans were screaming and this was a normal game, Dennis does not get teed up there. But it goes back to what Stephen Adams said, that they're going to hear those refs need to grow thicker skin because they're going to hear a lot more of what these players are saying in an empty gym. That's just how it's going to work. And you have to understand that they're just venting. You know, To put it simply, they're just venting. They're not truly trying to call you out or show you up or complain directly to you. They're just venting and you're hearing it. And that's all there is to it. So the fouls were terrible. The, the tech was terrible. And I don't mean that in the sense of that it shifted the game. Just why are we doing this in a scrimmage? Again, Saturday, call all the illegal screens you want. Call all the ticky-tack fouls you want. If, if a guy breathes wrong, tee him up. But in a scrimmage, what are we doing? It doesn't matter what happens. Nothing about yesterday in terms of the box score matters. So why are we calling so many fouls? But back to what doesn't matter, and that's the fact that we if you want to overreact to a scrimmage, we got a preview of maybe Billy Donovan's rotation. It was interesting that Hamadou Diallo got into action before Terrence Ferguson. And Diallo, without Nader, was the first wing off the bench. And Ferguson did come in late, late, late in that first quarter, but he still did not get as much rotational love as Darius Baisley, as Diallo, as Nader did on Friday before his uh, concussion. And I think, again, if you want to overreact, if you want to truly assess this game, which why wouldn't we? We have nothing else to talk about during a pandemic. Terrence Ferguson might be falling out of Billy Donovan's rotation, and for good reason. I mean, I'm not saying that that Ferguson deserves you know better treatment, but on Friday you saw Diallo, you saw Baisley, you saw Nader ranking above him in the hierarchy. Whatever Andre can bring to you, ranks above Terrence Ferguson, I think, in the hierarchy. And you might not see Ferguson play a ton, if any, playoff minutes. Now, a lot of this will, d- will depend on what games Dennis misses and how long Dennis is out. So let's operate, for the time being, of this rotation with Dennis Schroeder because that's what really matters. If there's no Dennis, who cares about any of this because this, this Thunder team is a much worse team and doesn't have these expectations of winning inside the bubble. But with Dennis, with a fully healthy team, and now you add in Andre, where, where do you find the Ferguson minutes as rotations get shorter and shorter the further we go into the bubble, the further we go into the postseason? Rotations dwindle, and 
just basing it off of the substitution patterns of, of Billy Donovan so far in the bubble, it looks like Terrence Ferguson's spot is the one that's going to get cut here as we move inside the bubble and shorten up these rotations and tighten up these rotations. And that was kind of clear to me after watching the 76ers game. Now, we'll see what happens on Tuesday against Portland. But after watching that Philly game, after watching that Boston game, it's pretty clear to me that Ferguson is the one that's going to miss out on getting that playoff rotation. And again, for good reason. It's not like he's played so well, you can't replace him. In fact, it's quite the opposite. This is a good thing that Ferguson sadly is falling out of rotation. It's just it's just only sad because I think everyone likes Ferguson in terms of personally, obviously. I think he's a good person. But on the floor, he hasn't really earned a spot in this rotation. So it is good to see Billy going away from that. And for Diallo, he looked good. Now, again, it was sloppy. So that's a qualifier for everything. Anytime I say someone looked good, just remember, it looked sloppy also. But Diallo looked aggressive for the first time in his career. He, he looked really aggressive. And at times, it backfired. At times, it got him blocked at the rim. But at least he's going up strong. And at least he's confident in what he's doing. He's confident in that next move. And that's something Terrence Ferguson has never really had on the basketball floor. So seeing the aggression... Seeing the purpose of guys like Diallo, of guys like Baisley, seeing them be decisive with, with what they want to do was very, very encouraging against Philadelphia. And Baisley had a couple back-to-back threes. He was running the break exceptionally well, which is something that Abdul Nader does well. So without Nader, you saw Baisley take over that role. He was running the floor, filling out the lane, doing everything you need to do on the fast break perfectly. So Darius Baisley, for the second straight night, a second straight game, excuse me, because they did have that off day on Saturday. But for the second straight game, Darius Baisley fills in perfectly for a Thunder player that needed, that needed some uh, pick-me-up. Whenever you had Noel out on Friday, he, he picked you up some center minutes. When you had Nader out on Sunday, he picked you up some wing minutes and really filled Nader's role. A couple of threes and great job running the length of the floor on fast breaks. That's what Nader brings you. And Darius brought you that on Sunday instead of Nader. So not only does Baisley look more comfortable in the NBA and Baisley look like the game is kind of slowing down for him a little bit, as we have seen this rookie get a layoff longer than most offseasons, but he's kind of adapted to any situation so far. Again, Friday, he adapts to playing center. Yesterday, he adapts to filling in for Abdul Nader and doing his role to a T. And that's a good tool to have off your bench. And again, as we mentioned, I can see him filling in for Dennis when Dennis is gone because he's such an elite playmaker. Even with the length, even with the size he has, he's still an elite playmaker that can be a lead ball handler in the NBA. That's how crazy of an athlete he is. He can be a truly, he can truly be a lead ball handler in the NBA. So I can see Darius Baisley filling in for almost any position on the floor, uh, really any position on the floor for this Thunder team. This podcast has been mostly positive, but before we get to the biggest positive storyline of this game, of this episode, let's talk a little bit first about the negative side of things. This game, the first half of this game, whenever you did have starters versus starters, it really showed why the Clippers are an awful matchup and a nightmare matchup for Oklahoma City because the Clippers have size and athleticism just like the 76ers so the 76ers were able to deploy a strategy against the three guard lineup against what the Thunder do well they were able to combat that with something that only the Clippers possess with size athleticism defenders and big bodies that's what they were able to do and that's what really corralled your starting unit 
in that first half, whenever starters were starters, that's what got them a 26-point lead, along with the sloppy play, along with the early start time, but that's mainly what did it. And that was a glimpse of why I've said all along the Clippers are the worst possible matchup in this postseason for Oklahoma City. So I did want to throw that out there. We did get to see that verified on Sunday. But let's go back to being positive because that's a lot more fun, and this team deserves it. This team, from coming back from down 26 on Sunday and going 2-0 in the scrimmages, truly deserves it, and they could not have done that without Andre Robertson. And Andre Robertson checks in and immediately makes an impact. I mean immediately makes an impact. He's playing great defense. He did play a little bit more perimeter defense in this game, just a little bit more. Uh, he he came in late in this game, which we'll talk about tomorrow as we preview Portland. But the biggest talking point around this game is Andre's back-to-back threes to give the Thunder the lead and to ice the victory for the Thunder. And not only is that huge, because we've seen how porous Andre has shot the ball from three and how that has hampered the Thunder offense his entire career uh, on the floor with Oklahoma City. So you saw an improvement from three-point land on Friday. You saw it again Sunday. That itself is huge. But a a minor note that I think can be um, expanded into a big role is the confidence he showed. Now, he had one possession where you would like to see him shoot the ball. He, He got the ball. He was wide open. No one around him. No one even had a chance to close out on him if he did decide to shoot. And instead, he passes it to a contested rookie in Darius Baisley, who had to throw up a three. You would have liked to see Andre shoot that ball. And that was his first attempt at that. That was his first real test of how much confidence does he have. And quickly thereafter, there's a timeout or a stoppage, and he was able to huddle up with Billy Donovan. I'm not sure if anyone pointed that out to him, but after that break, he came back out on the offensive end, and whenever he got a shot, he took it. And he got two shots from three. He nailed both of them without hesitation, without questioning if he should shoot. He immediately went up. He nailed both of them. And after making the second shot to ice the game, you see him turn around, stare down the Sixers. Even in a meaningless scrimmage, he was, he was exuding confidence, uh, which is something he struggled with on the floor. Much like uh, a young Terrence Ferguson, he struggled not only to believe in himself to shoot the basketball, but also to feel confident in the decision he's making on the offensive floor. And you saw that confidence on Sunday. And if you let Andre shoot the basketball at even a 30% clip from beyond the arc, along with playing some good to elite defense, depending on what he can be uh, returning from this injury, that's a heck of a player to add. That is a heck of a player to add. A lot of talk around Thunder Twitter and, and message boards and things like that about this team possibly adding maybe an Alan Crabb or adding uh, some sort of uh, free agent heading into the bubble. This is your best free agent. If Andre can hit back-to-back threes, if he can be serviceable from beyond the arc and play good to elite level defense, that's the best addition you could have made entering the Disney World bubble. So there is a lot of reason for optimism. There is a lot of reason for excitement around Thunder basketball right now. If you watch these two scrimmages, if you took the time to go to OklahomaCity.com, find the scrimmages, watch the scrimmages, it's hard for me to believe you sat there and did that and, and, and couldn't get yourself up for Thunder basketball. Couldn't get yourself excited for what we're about to witness starting on Saturday because, I'll be honest, I, I, I said an apology to everyone whose expectations I tried to tamper because after watching these two games... 
I'm fully on board. I think if, if Andre is who he was these last two games, and we'll talk about what he needs to do on Tuesday to, to submit this opinion of mine. If he can be what he was these last two days, these last two games, this Thunder team not only should reach the second round, and I'll leave you with this, this Thunder team should not only reach the second round, but it could beat the Lakers. It could beat the Lakers. And we'll talk about that tomorrow and a lot more on tomorrow's show. We're going to preview the Portland scrimmage on Wednesday. We're going to recap that Portland scrimmage, the third and final scrimmage from the bubble before we start regular season basketball. On Thursday, we're going to preview the entire bubble. We're talking playoff predictions, award predictions, everything possible for the grand scheme of the NBA. And then on Friday, it's time to preview basketball. It's time to preview actual meaningful basketball as the Thunder start their eight-game regular season against the Utah Jazz to conclude the eight seeding games before we make a playoff push. So I'm Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star Apple podcast review. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Locked on Thunder. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.